Beloved, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 13. Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. We're going to read um, eight verses there, 10 through 17. Luke chapter 13, page 1486. Page 1486 in the Bibles provided for you. Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17. We read these words, beginning at verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leaders said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, beloved in Christ, if you have watched any of the news happening these last uh, couple of days, you know that there are two very different, even polar opposite reactions to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. On the one hand, there is the pro-life reaction, as you would expect, of joy and gratitude to God, and hopefully a what-do-we-do-next self-reflection mentality. How can we best minister to those who did want and still want and will want an abortion in the future? How can we best minister Christ's love to them and also champion the unwanted life of the child growing inside of them? How can we as Christ come to them, come alongside them when our help may be unwanted, un uh, mocked, or even violently rejected? That's one reaction, of course, a pro-life reaction, joy, gratitude, and hopefully thoughtfulness on what to do next. The other would be the pro-choice reaction, quite the opposite, right? There's anger and there's fear and there's resentment and disbelief and incredulity and so on. Two opposites clashing, clashing. that's sort of an oversimplification, but it seems like with most things these days, opposing battle lines are drawn so quickly and easily and off we go. Opposites. I'm right, you're wrong, and we're not even going to talk about it. Forget the civilities of polite discourse, debate, and deliberation. 
We'll just hit the streets and protest and sometimes wreck things and even destroy lives. That's what we're seeing more and more in our society. Opposites not able to agree about much. At least that's what the media is portraying. Is everyone like that? No. But you'd never know that from what gets put on the air. Opposites. Opposites. That's what we see and hear in our scripture lesson today, too. We read about opposites. And you know how it works. You put two opposites together. Whichever of the two things you happen to agree with shines all the brighter when it's placed next to its opposite. A guy who's six foot looks pretty short next to Henry Bauman. Take Henry Bauman out of the picture, plug in his son Taylor, and the six-foot guy really looks like a shrimp then. I'm sure you know how this works. Our passage is filled with opposites. And if there's, a, if there's bad in the story, then the good looks so beautiful next to it, and vice versa. The story's first opposite set you have is Jesus and the synagogue ruler. Jesus, well, Jesus and the people actually also look so terrific against the backdrop of the synagogue ruler. And the synagogue ruler looks so terrible against the backdrop of Jesus. That's one opposite. Then there's the praising of God by the crippled woman. And immediately, the next word in the text is indignant. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. The synagogue ruler said to the people, and there you have it. The praising of God makes the ruler's indignation look even awfuler. And the indignation makes the praises of God stand out brighter. Well, then there's the ox or donkey set over against a human being, the woman. And Jesus' logic is perfect so that when you see the ox and how the synagogue rulers treat their ox, you can't believe they would treat the woman the way they do, and vice versa. And there's the beautiful opposing words, bound and set free. The woman was bound now she's set free, 18 years bound, set free on one Sabbath day. Two opposites that highlight the other. And then there's the insistence that the healing should happen on the six other days of the week, not the Sabbath. You've got it mixed up, opposite of what it should be, the ruler says. The Sabbath highlights the other six days. And vice versa. And then there's the humiliation at the end of the story, the humiliation of Jesus' opponents and the delight, the delight of the people for the wonderful things that Jesus did. You can pull all of those right out of the text, those words in there. There are opposites all over the place in this passage. And I came to the conclusion after reading this again and again that it is really a story about two opposing visions Two opposing visions for the world. There is the synagogue ruler's selfish vision, but shining brightly next to it, it, shining even more brightly because the selfish vision of the synagogue ruler is so dull, is Jesus' kingdom vision. 
Jesus' kingdom vision is highlighted in this whole story. It's like the synagogue ruler's selfish vision helps illuminate the kingdom vision of Jesus even more. It's a great story, isn't it? With a lot of great things to learn in it. And we're going to learn four things about Jesus' kingdom vision. Four things here make up King, Jesus' kingdom vision. And, and they're set over against the selfish vision of the synagogue rulers. So we should see them fairly easily tonight. The first one, the first kingdom vision priority is, and all these begin with the letter C, the first kingdom vision priority is compassion. Compassion. The text begins, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. So Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, is in the middle of something here. He's busy at the synagogue teaching. But a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over, could not straighten up at all. Now picture the scene. Jesus teaching a woman way off in the woman's area and probably pushed off to the side even further because of her infirmity. Then verse 12. When Jesus saw her, he saw her. He saw a woman all bent over, couldn't straighten up at all. Her presence there caught his eye. And he stops his teaching, what he had been busy doing. He calls her forward. Picture it. Do you think this kind of attention has ever happened to this woman before? I doubt it. Jesus stops what he's doing, starts paying attention to this woman. And what you call that, well, one of the things you call that is compassion. She did not raise her hand. She did not shout out to Jesus to get his attention. She did not make a scene. She was simply noticed by Jesus. It is Jesus' compassion initiative that starts this whole little scene. Jesus' compassion for people who are hurting, for people who need a savior, a healer. Jesus' compassion starts it off. He enters the lives of needy people with compassion. Now, to help us see that compassion shine even more brightly, there is this opposite, the, the synagogue ruler. And if we are to say that kingdom vision priority number one is compassion, we would say selfish vision priority number one is harshness. And all these opposites start with the letter H. Harshness. If you want to see Jesus' compassion simply blaze with glory, then set it next to the harshness of the synagogue ruler. Where is his harshness? Well, in the speech, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days. Not the Sabbath. There's not an ounce of compassion in what he says. It's simply harshness. That's like the emergency room at Butterworth closing its doors on Sunday. Sorry, don't get hurt on Sunday. We don't help people then. Doors are locked. There are big chains across them. Why did you come today to be healed on Sunday? Get out of here. We don't work on Sunday. No acts of mercy like that. It's harsh. It's cold harshness that sets off Jesus' warm, lovely compassion. That's kingdom priority number one for Jesus here. Compassion. See people. Seek them out. See their hurts. Listen, care for, get in their lives, help them. Friends, we're in that same kingdom. It's our vision too. 
second kingdom vision priority for Jesus in this story. It's conversion. Conversion. Call it conversion, transformation, change. It all happens when Jesus heals this woman. Jesus' kingdom vision priority is to change people, convert people, bring them from here to him. One step closer away from here, one step closer to him. Further away from that sin and the devil and that evil, closer to Jesus, God the Father, heaven, the kingdom. It's the kingdom vision. For Jesus, it's all about converting people, moving them along one more step on the path of glory. What is it? Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.18, right? 2 Corinthians 3.18. We are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Jesus is all about conversion in the kingdom. Doesn't matter if it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Doesn't matter if it's a Sunday. The kingdom vision priority has Jesus saying, I'm going to move one more person a little closer to God to my Father, to me. It's all about movement, momentum, conversion in the kingdom. What a vision. And shining against that backdrop of the synagogue's ruler's selfish vision, it looks even grander. Look at his opposite selfish vision priority number two. If Jesus' vision is all about conversion, moving people along in their walk with God, the synagogue ruler's vision is all about staying where you are. For Jesus, it's conversion. For the synagogue ruler, he was hardened. He was hardened. There's the H word, like concrete. Yeah, we got a Sabbath issue here. We got a guy healing people on the Sabbath. That hasn't been allowed for 1,500 years. Doesn't he know that? That law set in stone, concrete, hardened. There can be no movement on the Sabbath. There's no conversion. There's no helping people get closer to God. That's the job of the synagogue ruler. You can't have people in the narthex. Bring it here. Praying together and sharing their concerns with each other and giving each other a hug and setting up plans to help them and encouraging them to get closer to God, that's forward thinking, that's movement, that's momentum, and there's no movement on the Sabbath. Their selfish vision barely moves at all. No change allowed, no conversion. They're hardened, stagnant, and it just makes Jesus' conversion priority, transformation, movement, momentum burn all the brighter. Kingdom priority number two, conversion. Help people walk along on the path of glory, on the path to Jesus. Happens every day. And on the Sabbath, there, there ought to be some running together on the path. A burst of energy as we help each other move along. For after all, it's not just Jesus' kingdom vision priority. We're in the same kingdom too. It's our vision too. Third kingdom vision priority for Jesus in this story. The third priority is community, isn't it? Community. Remember who and when it is we're dealing with. Women back then were viewed as property, no more. Disabled people were viewed as worthless. Those two combined had no chance. Barely considered above animals. 18 years crippled 
like this. 18 years, not even able to look up. She's a nobody. But what does Jesus say? She's not a nobody. She's a daughter of Abraham. Just like you, synagogue ruler. Just like me, Jesus. She's a daughter of Abraham. That was a huge compliment, a huge boost to her emotional net worth. Did he just say, I'm a daughter of Abraham? I am? Yes, you are. Fred Craddock, a teacher of preachers, a preacher himself, but he also was a professor for preachers, relates the story of something that happened in a restaurant that illustrates what Jesus' words must have meant to this crippled woman. Craddock describes how a man came up to him and asked him, you a preacher? And when Fred, somewhat chagrined, answered yes, the man pulled a chair up to Fred's table, sat down, preacher, I'll tell you a story. There was once a little boy who grew up sad. Life was tough because my mama had me, but she had never been married. You know how a small Tennessee town treats people like me? Did you know the words they use to name kids that don't have no father? Well, we never went to church. Nobody asked us. But for some reason or other, we went to church one night when they was having a revival. They had a big, tall preacher visiting to do the revival, and, and he was all dressed in black, and he had a thunderous voice that shook the little church. We sat toward the back, Mama and me. Well, that preacher got to preaching about what? I don't know. Stalking up and down the aisle of that little church preaching. It was something. And after the service, we were slipping out the back door when I felt the big preacher's hand on my shoulder. I was scared. He looked way down at me, looked me in the eye and says, boy, who's your daddy? I didn't have no daddy. That's what I told him in a trembling voice. I ain't got no daddy. Oh, yes, you do, boomed that big preacher. You're a child of the kingdom. You've been bought with a price. You are a child of the king. And the man right there said to Fred Craddock, I was never the same after that. So preacher, for God's sake, you preach that. And that's what the crippled woman heard that day. Daughter of Abraham, child of the king. What was Jesus doing? He was bringing on his third kingdom vision priority, community. She is a member of this community, but she's a woman. That's right. She's a cripple. That's right. 18 years crippled. That's right. She's in this community, and she needs to be treated as such. She's no different than you, synagogue ruler, and you're no different than she. Of course, the opposite offset 
to this one for the synagogue ruler's selfish vision is the priority of hierarchy. There's your H word. For the synagogue rulers, there was an obvious hierarchy of who was worth more in God's eyes. And of course, the rulers of the synagogue were right at the top, and it went down from there all the way to this 18-year crippled woman. She's at the bottom of our heap, so thought the synagogue ruler. A hierarchy. And Jesus says, no, a community. And she's a part of it. No less, no more than you. And you're a part of it, no less, no more than she. And oh, how often we need to hear this, dear friends. Because we share that same kingdom vision priority, community. We're in that community after all. And God did the same for you and for me and for that synagogue ruler and for that woman. He set us free from the devil's tyranny, from the slavery to sin, from the bondage to Satan. Christ set us free. Free. Satan had me bound, had you bound, Jesus lifted me, lifted you because I deserve it. And obviously the guy sitting over there, well, he really doesn't deserve it. No, that's not how it works. None of us had it coming. None of us was worthy. None of us deserved it. We're all in the community on the same level playing field. No hierarchy, just community. That means everyone bring it home again in that narthex room after the service is equal with you. Some of us aren't down here as donkeys or oxen and others of us aren't up here as daughters and sons of Abraham like some hierarchy. Sometimes I suppose we're tempted to think that sometimes. I'm up here and you're, you know, you're down here a bit. No. With one community building miracle of healing, Jesus reminds us we're all daughters and sons of Abraham. Doesn't matter how much money she has or how much education or how much talent or how much good looks or how much of an easy life or how much of a past and how much of a health problem or how much of anything you or they may have or may not have. They are in communion with you and with me. Communion is the name of the game. Community is the name of the game, not hierarchy. Community is our kingdom vision priority number three. Fourth kingdom vision priority, the last in this passage that we're going to look at. For all the people, and especially the healed woman, I'm sure, there is kingdom vision priority number four, and it's celebration. Celebration. The woman begins it by praising God at her healing. And by the end of the story, no one can contain themselves. Think of it, 18 years, and Jesus treats this as someone who has been bound by Satan. Satan had this woman bound for 18 years. She's looked at people's feet for 18 years because she can't look anywhere else. I ever tell you about my sister? Growing up, we lived very near school. 
I may have told you, I don't know, but, but we'd walk to school and, and for quite some time, I don't know what caused it, but my sister would walk to school looking down at her feet like that. Just looking down. Why, we don't know. I just figured as her four years younger brother, she did goofy things just to annoy her little brother, right? So this was no surprise for me that she would do this goofy thing. But one day, while walking to school, across the lawn, she walked right into the large trunk of a tree. <laughs> that cured her immediately of this strange illness she had. Immediately. But, but this poor, crippled woman, bound by Satan, could never just walk into a tree and start looking up again. She needed to be healed and was healed, set free by Jesus, just like a bound donkey being set free to go get a drink of water. Jesus set her free by the gracious miracle of God's healing touch and grace. This was cause, as all miracles of grace are, as all spurts of growth on the path to God are, as all coming to know Jesus is, as all realizations are that my sins are forgiven by Jesus' blood, that I'm going to heaven by Jesus' resurrection. This was cause for celebration. And there's a huge celebration in this passage. The people are delighted with all the wonderful things Jesus is doing. There's celebration here and now, and of course, in heaven, now, and then when he comes again. Celebration all over the place for Jesus and what he has done and is doing and will do. But dimly sitting in the background to even make that celebration look grander are the opponents of Jesus, right? And what does it say about them? Not celebration. Their selfish vision includes humiliation. And it's not the good kind of humiliation either. We're supposed to be humble and hum filled with humility. This is humiliation, just disastrous. They were humiliated. There was no cause for celebration. Jesus' kingdom logic and grace had humiliated them. His simple logic and his complex miracle humiliated them. Hopefully, it brought them down low enough to see the ground that the woman had seen for 18 years. Low enough to realize they needed Jesus too. They needed a miracle of grace too. Because the celebration wouldn't be the same without them. Just like it wouldn't be the same without that crippled woman. Just like it wouldn't be the same without you and without me. Their humiliation at the end of the story, highlights Jesus' kingdom vision priority number four, celebration. That's a kingdom vision priority for us to celebration because we're in the same kingdom as Jesus. So when there's cause for celebration, feel free. Feel free to be delighted with all the wonderful things Jesus is doing. Celebrate for his kingdom vision is alive and well even today. That's good news. That's good news. A kingdom vision of compassion, conversion, community, and celebration. That's good news for our world that seems so divided and opposite. In the middle of it shines a kingdom vision that Jesus 
has made us a part of and intends on having others be a part of too. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you for what you have done, of course, going to the cross and rising from the dead, but we love you for this word that you have given to us in the word of God, this story that is recounted by Luke, is told by him about what you did, about how you showed your kingdom vision in so many wonderful ways, showing that community and that compassion, that conversion and change and that celebration in this story. We're so thankful that you highlighted it for us so that we know that that's, that's our vision too. That's the kingdom that we're a part of too. And that's the kingdom that you want others in too. And so help us as kingdom inhabitants to be open to sharing these wonderful vision priorities, not only within this place, but outside of this place as well. Thank you for shining that vision so brightly in these eight verses. In Jesus' name, your name we pray. Amen.